Well, good morning, Bethel. As is obvious, today Pastor Ken is not here. He's preaching a weekend uh, father and son camp up at Barakel and be home soon. Um, and he's asked me to fill in for him today. I, uh, I've known this for a couple of months, and I have a couple things to say to you very clearly before I begin the actual message, so uh, please hear this. As I prayed and prepared for this message, I've sensed the Lord leading me to this topic. Believe me, I know that it is not an easy topic and it holds potential for misunderstandings. In fact, I tried to go another direction, but I couldn't get my, any freedom in my spirit to go elsewhere. So I'm seeking to obey the still small voice of the spirit as I bring this talk today. At the outset, before beginning the actual message, I need to make two things very clear about my purpose this morning, what it is and what it isn't. First, what it isn't. This message is not about politics or political parties or ideologies or even recent incidents in our country, even though those things have pointed to prompted the need for this message. What my purpose is, is specifically and exclusively to share with you some major truths from God's holy word that should inform the understandings, beliefs, and practices of everyone who follows Jesus and believes that the Bible is our only guide for faith and practice. So having made that clear, uh, let's begin. We all know that racism continues to be a major issue in our country. The tension and pain surrounding race-related incidents frequently erupts. Opinions, accusations, and all ideologies abound. Anger, frustration, chaos, volatility accompany new, each new incident. To deny those things would be to be delusional. However, this morning, what I want to address is not those incidents or the things that surround them. Rather, I want to ask and answer the question, does the Bible have anything to say to followers of Jesus that will help us in our thinking, attitudes, and actions toward people who are different from us? And I will tell you that while there's no direct verse, the Bible does indeed contain truths to inform those things, the thinking, attitudes, and actions of everyone who believes that the Bible is God's word. So, I want to share with you today three major biblical truths. These are not simple little things. These are large truths, large themes of the Bible, and they are important for all of us to understand. I know that many of you here have been Christians in a long time, and you do know these things and understand them. Some of them, some of you are newer, and it may be new thinking. But all of us, regardless, frequently need reminded of things we already know. That's one of the reasons we come to church each week. The first truth is this one. All people are made in the image of God. All people. 
We look at Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image. Of course, us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, man, mankind, male and female, in our likeness. Let them roll over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then Psalm 8, which Josh just read for us, it says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care about him? And that talks about God making him a little lower than the angels, and he's given him rule over the earth and the animals, the kingdom. So the first truth is that people are made in the image of God. But the question arises immediately, what does that mean, image of God? Surely it can't mean physical attributes because people are very different in physical attributes. Height, weight, genders, size, preferences, skin colors, nationalities, races, languages. People are very different all over the world. So what does it mean when it says we're made in God's image? Especially since God is not Jesus took on a body, but God is not human. He's a, he's a being above us and beyond us. But the Bible teaches he has chosen to create us in such a way that he shares some of his distinguishing characteristics with us. What are some of those? Well, things like intellect, moral understanding, reasoning power, and here's a big one, the ability, the capacity to be in relationship with him and the capacity to love others. And he's given us authority, dominion to rule over all the earth and its creatures. The earth is the Lord's, the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's. He created it. He owns it. We're called to be stewards. And he's given dominion big word is he's given us co-regency or vice-regency. He's given us power. Now, of all the beings on earth, only humans have all those God-given attributes and capacities. Sometimes we see things in animals that are amazing, things they do, things that seem to imply emotions and sometimes reasoning power, etc. But only humans have all of those things. Therefore, as the Zondervan note in the Zondervan Bible says, since human beings are made in God's image, they're all worthy of honor and respect. Well, that statement creates some issues too. We're not going to honor and respect everyone's demeanor. We're not gonna honor and respect some of their actions we don't always respect and agree with their worldview. And the Bible doesn't call us to do that, but it calls us to understand that every human being on this earth is made in the image of God and is worthy of honor and respect because of that very thing. They are in the image of God. This is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Here's why, when you don't understand that, it causes a lot of pain. This biblical truth is in large part rejected by the world in which we live. They don't believe it. 
and the failure to believe it out of either ignorance or disbelief often causes great problems. It causes people to think less of other people. And sometimes it causes people to think less of themselves. Both errors are problematic. To think less of others is fertile ground for racism. To think less of oneself is further is fertile ground for poor self-image, for wrong self-image, for lack of self-esteem, appropriate self-esteem. Do you know that the suicide rate in our country is skyrocketing, especially among teenagers, and even more specifically among young girls? There's great pain involved in identity these days. People have an innate burden and longing to be understood. They want to believe that they have intrinsic worth, that they have value as a person. So that every person, regardless of their physical attributes, their mental abilities, their talents, or their debilitations and weaknesses, deserves to be given honor and respect just for being a human being. People without that are often crying out to be seen, to be known, to be understood. They're saying, in effect, hey, do you see me? Do you know that I exist? Do you believe I have value and worth? Will you listen to me? Will you love me as I am? Please hear my cry. Accept my worth. Don't treat me as some kind of a lesser being. We who follow Jesus must never do that to other people because every person is made in the image of God. I believe much of what creates and exacerbates the tensions of racial problems and other problems among people is just this. It's about value. It's about worth. It's about meaning. There are indeed other issues, and it's complex, and I won't attempt to address them, but there is a foundational truth that I'm talking about. People, I think especially young people, are struggling with that question. In many ways, they're being told, you're nothing, you don't matter. You're worthless, nobody cares about you. Nobody understands you, nobody loves you. That leads to despair. I would suggest to you that no matter how high a person rises or how low they fall, ultimately their own value and self-esteem is rooted in the biblical truth that they are made in the image of God. And when you don't know that, it leads to all kinds of problems. Allow me a personal story. Over the years of my life, which is now getting to be a long life, and I'm thankful for that, I've come to know a number of people from different backgrounds and racial backgrounds, skin colors, and I've, ma I've managed to live and work among them. During my consulting career, I, I worked with a historic black college in Mississippi. I've been to Alaska to work with people who have some Eskimo 
relation. I've been where there are people of Indian heritage. I've encountered all of them, some very casually, others more closely. Because of solid training in my childhood, it's been my practice, not perfectly, but born out of my early training in the Bible, to treat every person with the same level of respect that I would want others to treat me. It's been my experience that when I do that, I receive that in return. When I was a young man, actually when I was in junior high school, I met a kid, we came from different elementary schools to a common junior high, senior high school building. And one day early in the year, that first year together, uh, we met on the playing field of our gym class in a flag football game. And I was a, thought I was a pretty good athlete. And this kid was on the opposing team. And uh, he caught a little pass and I came out to get his flag and he went around me like I was standing still. And I had never encountered that kind of movement and quickness before in my life. And I said, whoa, what is this? But growing out of that incident right there developed a friendship between us. As you might expect, he was a young black boy. And he, and he was a boy at that point in time, he and I are to this day great friends. Our friendship deepened. We played ball through high school. We've maintained contact throughout all the years. We talk, as Cheryl would vouch for, several times a year. A few years ago, he said to me, Neil, uh, my family knows you. They saw you play basketball in high school. We're having a reunion back in our home area. Would you and your wife attend that reunion? And my initial reaction was, well, Kenny, your family probably doesn't some, white, some old white guy coming to your reunion. To which he responded, Neil, you're not some old white guy. Man, you're my brother. And we went. And I want to tell you, he is my brother. We love one another. He is a good and godly man. That's the way it ought to be. It's only true. It only can be true when you recognize people all people are born in the image of God. That doesn't mean they're healthy. That doesn't mean they're well. That doesn't mean they're not sinners. But they are people of value and worth. Truth number two. People from all over the world will be in heaven. Josh read a little bit of the passage that's listed in your book, Revelation 7. It was going to be 9 through 16, and he read uh, 9 and 10, which gets the idea there will be everybody. That particular passage may refer only to saints coming out of the tribulation. But again, notice it said from all over the world, every tribe, language, tongue, etc., are going to be in heaven then. And of course, all of humanity throughout all of history who have come to know God will be in heaven. When Jesus was ready to return to heaven after his resurrection, he said, we read these words in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And there are the multitudes in heaven. I would remind you what God said to Abraham way back in Genesis, verse, chapter 12, verses one to three. He said this when he called him, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Why such a statement? Well, because ultimately through Abraham and his offspring would come our Lord and Savior and the gospel of the good news would travel throughout the world as it has done and is doing. God has kept that promise. People all over earth have been blessed. That's always been his plan. That's always been his plan. I would suggest to you that no person who is in heaven is going to be there because they kept the law perfectly. No person is going to be there because they lived a good enough life. No person will be there because they measured up. They will only be there because they believed God, as Abraham did, and they believed Jesus when he came. However, we also know from the scriptures that not every person will ultimately be in heaven. Not everyone. That's a sad truth, but it is a truth. So the key question becomes, how do people qualify for heaven? The scriptures are very clear about that. You know that. The gospels are very clear. John makes it clear. You know these verses. Let me read them for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. In Romans we read, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. and The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that, don't we? The gospel is very simple in its truth, but its ramifications are incredibly profound. That's the good news that is to be shared with all people. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins, for a life that has purpose and meaning, for a future that's unimaginably good, living with God and all those ultimately are gathered around the throne from every tr nation, tribe, language, and tongue forever? It's a glorious future. All of us who know him have come to him in different ways, I'm sure. If we were to hear your testimonies of how you came to faith, they would be varied. 
As far as I know, at least, only Paul was struck by a great light from heaven while riding a horse and blinded for three days before he came to actual faith. That wasn't my experience, probably wasn't yours. But somehow, if you've become a believer, there was a process involved. Will you allow me to tell you how I came to faith? I was a boy. I was 11 years old. I, was, I grew up in a, a Christian home. My mother and father both knew Jesus. They loved him. They took us to church all the time. If the doors were open, we were there. One Sunday night, on a summer Sunday night, we were in a church service, a little church in western Pennsylvania. And the, it was a visiting preacher, and he preached a sermon. I can't tell you what his passage was. I can't tell you what the topic was. But I do know that at the end of the service, he gave an invitation to come forward and receive Christ as Savior. Now, I'd been taught from a child about that. But that night, when he gave that invitation, the Holy Spirit came upon me with great conviction, and I was virtually compelled to respond to that invitation. So I walked that little aisle, I knelt at an altar, and my parents were right there with me immediately, supporting me, and I invited Jesus into my life. And something he's given me amazingly that has never been repeated, that very night as a, an 11-year-old boy, I mean, I had sinned, but I hadn't robbed any banks or killed anybody or even slandered many that I know of, but I knew I was a sinner. And I knew I'd done wrong and broken God's law, and I knew I needed him. And he came into my life, and I want to tell you, friends, he gave me a sense of forgiveness and cleanness and purity that is incredible. I went home that night, and I had a joy in my heart that I have never experienced just like that to this day. Jesus saved me that way. I'm so thankful he did. Your experience is probably not just like that. But somehow you came to faith, and others need to come to faith as well. So the second truth is people from all over the world will be in heaven, and we have a chance to help in that process. The third truth, then, is this one. Jesus modeled how we should treat other people. Now, we know a number of things. The songs we sang this morning, one of them, He's My Righteousness, and we praise them. That worship was incredible. I was rejoicing with you in singing those songs and relishing those words of truth. Jesus came, he the one and only perfect one. No one else has lived the perfect life. He lived the sinless life. He, he actually created the righteousness that you and I receive by faith when we receive him. And then he did the unthinkable. He took all the sins of the world on his own back and died for them, paid the just price, paid the just price. Why is it just? Because God is holy. God is righteous. You can't just overlook sin. It has to be dealt with. And he dealt with it by his son paying the price. I know you know that. But that's the reality of the gospel. Simple, yes. Profound, incredibly so. And because of that, we have our sins forgiven. Because of that, we have his righteousness. Because of that, we qualify for heaven. How did Jesus treat people 
when he walked this earth in his human body. Well, let me refer you to John chapter 1 first, verses 14 and 17. That chapter begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Word existed. Who is the Word? The Word is the second person of the Godhood, pre-incarnate, before he took on flesh. He always existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always existed, but he took on flesh, born of a virgin. And when he did, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, in verse 14. We've seen his glory. This is John, one of Jesus' inner three apostles, the one referred to as the one Jesus loved, the one who laid his head on his breast at the Last Supper, the one who's close and enduring. This is John giving testimony. We've seen his flesh. We've seen his glory. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. He saw him in a pre-glorified form on that moment. The glory of the one who came down from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when he was here, he instituted the new covenant, the old covenant of law, which could not save anyone and never was intended to save anyone, but was as a schoolmaster, Paul tells us in the epistles, that kept them kind of corralled till Jesus came. By the way, the law came to Moses 400 years after Abraham. How was Abraham saved? He wasn't saved by law, he was saved by faith. He believed God. Every person who's ever been saved has been saved by faith, by belief in God, by belief in Jesus. So the law came for a purpose, but Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. And he instituted the new covenant where he said, look, no, it's not, the law doesn't save you. You're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself, that's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace and truth. The grace he, he exhibited was, can be seen in two ways. Number one, obviously, he was gracious to people. He was kind, he was respectful. He treated them as they should be treated, as people made in the image of God. And he encountered many different kinds of people during his life on earth. The only people he ever spoke harshly to were the self-righteous Jewish religious leaders who didn't get it, the ones who should have and didn't get it. That's all only people he ever spoke harshly to. To others, he was compassionate, he was kind. He didn't force people to, he, he mourned over the rich young ruler who heard his call and went away. He brought, however, not only graciousness and kindness, but the covenant of grace, salvation by faith. And he never, he never spoke untruth. He was full of grace and truth. One of our goals as followers of Jesus should be to ask God to help us be full of grace and truth. Be gracious, but speak the truth. You don't have to agree with falsehood. You can still love and respect people and disagree with them. 
You don't have to affirm their wrong thinking, their wrong behavior. You don't have to do any of those things, but you can still be kind, and you can still give them the message of grace. Think about it. Think of some of the folks Jesus encountered. The woman at the well. That woman was a Samaritan. Samaritans were half-breeds because of their history. Uh, they were not fully Jewish, and therefore they lived in somewhat, they lived apart from other Jews, and they were looked down upon by other Jews. In fact, Jesus told his disciples on that occasion, I've got to go through Samaria. And they were kind of astonished. Nobody went through Samaria. That's where the outcasts, the people less than us live. But that's where Jesus went. And he met the woman at the well. And she'd been married several times, and the guy she was living with then was not her husband. And he knew that, and he told her the truth. But he told her about himself, about one who can know Jesus. And then she told her townspeople. And she came to faith, and many others came to faith. In Mark 7, Jesus encounters a Syrophoenician woman. Well, if you look at the map, Syrophoenician was up on the northwest coast, north of Israel, on the Mediterranean Sea, and up near the city of Tyre. And she was a Greek. In other words, she was a Gentile. And when Jesus was up there one time, she came to him and begged him to heal her daughter, who was tormented by an evil spirit. And he said, well, I've come to the Jews. And she said, but even, even the dogs get crumbs. And he marveled at her faith, and he healed her daughter. And then there was a Roman centurion, the ones who were living the oppressive rulers of their nation, who came to him and asked him to heal a servant of his who was dying. He said, you don't even need to come because I'm a man of authority and I can give an order and things happen. And Jesus healed that ser servant and he, said, he marveled at his faith. Jesus loved all kinds of people. He treated with honor and respect. He showed them the Father. He didn't come in the world to condemn it, but to save it. He encountered his disciples, mostly working men, no celebrities. Common people, he taught them, he healed them. Israel's leaders, Pharisees, high priests, Sadducees, he was tough with them. But some of them came to faith. You'll read about it in Acts. Some of them came to believe. Nicodemus, Joseph, they may, have, they may have come to faith even while he was there. We're not sure of that. He encountered Roman governing authorities. He wasn't harsh to them. He submitted to their rule, but he spoke the truth. So what's my point? Here it is. You know it, right? Let's follow Jesus and how we treat other people. No matter, I'm going to shock you, no matter their color, their culture, their language, their nationality, their gender identity, even their sexual orientation. You don't have to agree with people to be kind, to share the gospel with them. They need it. We who know Jesus have been forgiven. Those, who, those of us who recognize how big a deal that is, who recognize how much we really are sinners who had no hope but him, we of all people must express grace to others. They, they're not there yet. 
They're not going to respond to your harshness. They're not going to respond to ugliness. But if you treat them with dignity and respect, you show them kindness and tell them the truth nicely, some of them will respond. It's not our, Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It's not our job. Our job isn't to condemn the world. Yes, people need to know they're sinners, and there's a place that the law needs to be spoken so that they understand they're sinners. But there's a time for that. By and large, what people need to know is that they're valued, that they're understood, that they're worth something as an individual. I would appeal to you. God said, the Bible says we are ambassadors for Jesus. Ambassadors. You know what that means. You represent someone. You represent a country. You represent Jesus. I represent Jesus. Let's take that seriously. We are to treat others as Jesus did, graciously. Tell them about the gospel of grace. Tell them the truth and love them. That's the calling. So ultimately, this message isn't really about racism per se. This message is about how do we think about and treat others no matter their difference? How can we be ambassadors for Jesus Christ modeling his love, his character, what he would say? I'll tell you there's only one way. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the wherewithal, but you can do it with his help. You can do it with the Holy Spirit's leading you and guiding you. You can pray for people. You can love people. You can invite them to hear the word. You can have a gospel conversation with them when the time comes and they're ready to hear it. And I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, friends who I know and love, I appeal to you, think that way about other people. Treat other people that way. Pray for them. They need it. And they, some of them, some of them, God will save and will rejoice together. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we worship and love you because you loved us. We were sinners. You came when we were sinners. You called us all when we were sinners. We didn't deserve it. It's not because we're worthy and some aren't. You called us and you've shown us your grace and you've saved us. Help us, Lord, to be worthy ambassadors for you as we encounter the people in our lives. May we treat them with dignity and respect. May they treat them with kindness. And may we, Lord, given the opportunity, share the great news of the gospel that you love them, you've died for them, you will forgive them, you will make them part of your forever family. Lord, help us to be about that task, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Leo, are you here? There you are.